Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this beautiful Friday evening, Lord, and and just the love, the, the seasons changing, Lord, how it's fall is kind of on the horizon, Lord, and we just thank you for the beauty of creation and thank you for just another opportunity to come before you tonight. And uh, Lord, I, I simply pray that as I speak your word, you would anoint it to, to uh, just touch our hearts. Uh, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would uh, just move us closer to Jesus tonight. Uh, move us closer to this man, Lord. We want to lift up Joshua. We pray that he would be completely healed of his sore throat and, and sickness, Lord, my son Joshua, and then lift up my friend Rob. Pray he would make a full recovery from his sickness he's had for the past week. And Lord, we also lift up Jake Gerst and Kyle Nix. Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen these young men as they serve our country and they train and they do all the things uh, where they're deployed. Just give them added encouragement and strength in the mighty name of Jesus. And uh, Holy Spirit, open your word to us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Caleb, did I get you notes, buddy? You're good, okay. Well, let me just do one more quick check to make sure all of our technology is cooperating. I want to make sure that we get that recorded. And Okay. Well, tonight we're going to continue looking at the book of Acts. Hey, sweetie. Glory, you got to go to the back, okay? Because that, that's too loud. Okay? Can you please go to the back? Caleb, why don't you help? <laughs> Thank you. We're going to continue on how to parent. <laughs> Looking at the, the book of Acts, and tonight we're going to look at Stephen. Caleb, have you guys looked at Stephen in your classes yet? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So we're going to look at the life of Stephen, and he is known as you know, kind of he's famous for being the first martyr written of in Scripture, but there's so much more to his life. And so just wanted to explore some of the characteristics that I think stand out in his life and, and then just how they apply to our life or they, how they could have application in our life. But there is this neat aspect to Stephen that he was available. And I want to just look at that a little more closely tonight than, you know, again, we, we talk about Stephen and we think, well, he was the first martyr and, you know, go to the next subject. But there's, there's a lot of neat things that we could look at. But let's just start in Acts chapter 6. 
Acts chapter 6. I don't have all the text there, so I'm just going to read it. And um, again, if try to say this each time, but if you're with us on Facebook Live, the notes are on our website if you want to follow along. Uh, I always have them printed here in the room, but if you are watching and, and want the notes I'm going through, just go to the teachings tab, and there's a little notes box, and you can go through with me. But going to read Acts 6, 1 through 7, just so we get kind of the backstory. Acts 6, chapter 1, it says, In those days, when the numbers of the disciples were multiplying, there was a complaint. There's a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. That's the Aramaic-speaking Jews were being... Um, kind of the the Greek-speaking Jews had an issue where their widows were being overlooked in kind of a distribution. There was sort of a welfare system that the church had instituted to take care of widows and orphans. And so they're saying, hey, we're, you know, you're going and doing this daily distribution, <clears throat> but you're overlooking our widows. And so this was a real issue. It says in verse 2, the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom that we can appoint over this business. We're going to give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the apostles, it wasn't that they were unwilling. They weren't, they weren't saying we're not willing to serve. What they were saying is we're so busy going and preaching and teaching and prayer meetings. They just had constraints on their time. They could not possibly do every, you know, fulfill every need that was out there. And the church was exploding. I mean, thousands are getting saved. You can imagine the problems and the complaints and the issues constantly coming up. And so they ask for these seven men of reputation, could you make sure that these specific widows in the distribution of food and funds are taken care of? So they get people, they delegate. I mean, every leader has to learn how to do that. So they, they delegate this to these seven men so that they can focus on giving witness to, I mean, they were the eyewitnesses of the Lord. They were called in a special way to preach Christ. And so they were busy doing that. And so they, they go out, they get these, you know, they kind of call a conference of people. And in verse 5, it says, um, they chose Stephen. Uh, Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and then they chose Philip, and then five others, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, I have no idea how to pronounce these, <laughs> great baby names here, uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, and a, uh, who was a proselyte from Antioch, <clears throat> they set them before the apostles, then they prayed and laid hands on them. And then it says in, in uh, verse 7, the word of God spread and the numbers of disciples di multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So he, this is an interesting story. 
And uh, I'm on the notes here under number two, Roman numeral two. But the the old covenant, the law of Moses, made made clear that there were two groups of people that were especially to be cared for, and and that was the widow and the orphan. And 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 you know, it's we should be sensitive to all sorts of vulnerable types of people. But in that culture, I mean, there there were no four hundred one ks. There there were no you know life insurance policies there weren't you know centers for little boys and girls like we have all over there there was nothing for them so if you were widowed or your parents died um you were you there was no chance i mean no one would take care of you and so i mean you can imagine you know having no income no one to care for you that's hard for a for a woman but if you're six, seven, eight years old and your parents died, and there, there was no one to take you in. Um, and so the church stepped up and said, we're going to carry on what the law of Moses prescribes. We're going to do it. But even in, you know, even in trying to do, you know, to be a safety net, even trying to do good works and mercy deeds and trying to help take care of every social issue they could, there's still holes. I mean, no matter what we try to do, there's always going to be gaps and there's always going to be issues that come up. And one of the issues was there were so many widows that some were being overlooked. And I mean, that's like, you know, think of the soup kitchens in town. You try to feed as many people as you can, but you end up missing a few. You just not that you wanted to. But in Jerusalem 2000 years ago, where the temple was, what happened was people in their latter years would move to Jerusalem as they were aging to be closer to God, closer to the temple. And, and then the time would come when, you know, one of the people would die. And so if the husband dies, the woman's alone. And so there were many widows in Jerusalem because they had traveled from throughout Israel to Jerusalem to kind of go to the retirement holy place of the land and and live there until death, no matter where they started in Israel. And so there were many widows for that reason. And and so, you know, it kind of tells you that the women were living longer than the men. (laughs) And so, but there was this issue. And so the apostles handle it, and they say, we need more people involved. We don't want anybody to fall through the cracks. I mean, these, these women who've been widowed, they deserve our support and our care. And so they raise up a team. And I love how they, how they do this. But what's interesting here is we, we see that they don't just ask for anybody. They say, we want to get people, excuse me, we want men of good reputation. We want them filled with the Holy Spirit, and we want them to have wisdom. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, I would just take anybody to do anything pretty much. <laughs> but uh, they say, we want someone with a little bit of the anointing on their life to, I mean, this is essentially a primitive form of welfare that they want they want people to administrate the funds and the food and whatever else is necessary, maybe medical care. And so they want people who've got a you know, good reputation, work well with people, that sort of thing. 
So they get really solid people. And we see, <clears throat> we see something interesting begin to develop because they go for solid people, solid people to, to help with this. And Stephen kind of rises to the top. He's selected first, or Luke writes him first. And I think there's a reason for that because, you know, Stephen was first because he was going to become kind of the, the main character for the next few chapters. But what I think is interesting is that as anointed as Stephen seems, because not only did they select him because he had a good reputation, he's filled with the Spirit and he has wisdom, a few verses later, the Scriptures describe him in verse 5 as not only having that going for him, but he's also full of faith. So he's full of faith, full of the Spirit, he has wisdom, good reputation among the people, he's got a good resume. And yet, Stephen's not going to the apostles saying, hey, I know you selected me to, to kind of run the welfare here in town, but I'm actually really anointed. And so I'm trying to be the next apostle. So I don't want to mess around with this, you know, distributing stuff to the widows. I want you to put me on the A-team here. And a lot of times that's what can happen is when someone's gifted and talented and they have a good reputation and there's faith and the spirits on their life, they kind of start to think, well, I'm a little too good to do that job. I'm just waiting for my moment to be with the big dogs. And Stephen doesn't do that, which I find remarkable. I mean, he had a lot going for him, but he essentially says to the apostles, I'm available. Whatever you need me to do, if you want me to go to the most vulnerable people of society and help feed them, give them money and care for them, I will do anything you need me to do. And so Stephen enters the narrative in the book of Acts as someone who's available. And that's my first point tonight, is the availability of this man. He wasn't waiting for like, okay, I'm willing to do ministry if I'm on stage and you know there's a there's a stadium and you know he's like I'll do anything he wasn't letting all the gifts and the spirit of God on his life and all these things going for him he wasn't kind of holding that resume out like hey I'm I mean until I get my big opportunity I'm going to be on the sidelines he just he just jumped in and that's so important and, I, and I've seen this happen where people have such a high view of themselves, they don't do anything because they're waiting for like to be the next Billy Graham in a stadium when the Lord wants them to just kind of like <laughs> help people anyway, anywhere. And so that's huge. He had this willingness. He had this availability. And that's an attribute of humility. He had an others centeredness. He was, he was sensitive to what people needed. Now, what's also interesting about Stephen, this is a young man. He was maybe in his mid-20s uh, to late 20s. And so he was young, and, and yet he was sensitive to older people who had gone through life's difficult circumstance of losing a, a spouse. And so that's, I think that says a lot about him. And so we see, first of all, that he was available. That's, I, I don't want to you know, belabor that, but I just want to make that point real clear. He was very available. And I think that's, that's something that I've always just, I've, I've striven to just be available however God wants to use me. And I think that's the best place. If we're just kind of like open, God, however you want to use me, visible, invisible, 
whether people think it's cool or not cool, I will do what you want me to do. And I've tried to carry that heart as long as I've known the Lord, whether I was asked to you know, vacuum the church or do the finances for the church or straighten chairs or preach or help at a conference or you know, lead worship, I've, I've tried to just be open to whatever. And uh, you know, over the years, kind of your assignment gets clearer. But I think especially when we're young like Stephen, we're just, I'll do whatever you want me to do, Lord. And so what's interesting, after we see that Stephen's available, the next part of the story is very, very remarkable. In Acts 6, 8 through 15, we get another little nugget. In verse 8, it says, Stephen, full of faith, so it repeats that, and then it says this, and power. So at first, he's full of the Spirit, he's full of faith, he's wise, good reputation, but now he steps up to serve, and now there's power on his life. And this is what happens when we don't step up to serve, we don't see that next dimension of power. But Stephen's like, I'll do whatever you want me to do, uh, leaders. And, you know, obviously within reason, you know, there's probably a, you know, an unhealthy leader out there that's like, hey, you go, you know, wash my car and scrub my dog's back. And, you know, there's weird, but for the most part, 99.99% of good, healthy leaders, they, they, they see a Stephen and say, hey, we got this need, can, bro, can you help serve that over there because we're busy? And so he steps up. But verse 8 says, now there's power on his life. And it says he did great wonders and signs among the people. So he's, he's kind of not even really on the radar, really. And all of a sudden, the apostles appoint him to a task. And now, signs, wonders, and miracles are happening. And it just goes like that. We're kind of nowhere on anybody's radar. And then all of a sudden, yeah, I'll do anything, guys. What do you, ever, what do you need me to do? And boom, now we're used by God mightily. And what I think is so interesting about Stephen is there's no one in the New Testament, not a single man, not even Paul, John, Peter, that are described as doing great wonders. Only Stephen. Paul did signs and wonders, but only Stephen does great wonders. And, and when I read that, I pause there, and I go, what is that? Like, I'm content with signs and wonders. What is a great wonder? What, I mean, I, I pray, Lord, miracles, Lord, signs, Lord, wonders to confirm the gospel in our community. But there was something added on Stephen's witness that I don't think even Paul or the apostles moved in. When, when we, we know that the apostle Paul, it says that he performed unusual miracles. The aprons they brought to him, even the aprons and the handkerchiefs got anointed and would heal people. That's unusual. What it says about Stephen is great wonders. And I think to myself, man, I want to be the kind of person that's available, that will do anything, that could see some of these things. Because I don't even know what that is. Because the Bible doesn't tell us. But it says he, suddenly there's power, there's great wonders, there's signs among the people. So he wasn't in an ivory tower. He was out among the vulnerable of society ministering to them, and that's where the miracles are happening. And I think today, a lot of people say, God, use me to do miracles. But they're not among the people. They're not with, you know, kind of, we, so 
I get we can't like be with people all day every day, but I think it's important to recognize Stephen was given a job that was, you know, it was it was with people who were vulnerable. It was with people who didn't have means. It was people who were scraping by, and he's like, "That's my people. I'm going to be with them. I'm going to help them. I'm going to minister to them." And I think those are the kinds of the leaders that the Spirit of God says. Now I'm going to put wonders, signs, and miracles on your life to help the people I love. Because some of them, they had no money for doctors. They had nothing. They, they were just, they were poor. They were impoverished. There was little kids that didn't have parents. And so he, and, and actually the people that I know of, that I have heard have seen the greatest miracles, it's always among the poorest of the earth. People who have no chance at health care, they have no chance of anyone hearing, you know, they're in a third world country in the you know, middle of a desert or a bush. And, and the only thing that gets to them is the gospel and signs, wonders, and miracles. There's just no, no other chance for them. And so there's something about being willing to go out among the people. And that's where the spirit anoints leaders. Not that he can't anoint a church service. I mean, obviously, I want you know God to move here in our building and outside the building. But something about that that I think we should pay attention to. So we see suddenly this guy who's just like, "Hey, pick me, I'll go." And then suddenly, there's miracles. I put here in letter C under under Roman numeral three. Many want to be used powerfully by God, but few are available. So everybody says, you know, it sounds great. I want to do miracles. Are you willing to serve anyone? Are you willing to go out among the people? We're most powerful when we're most willing to serve others. And that was Stephen's heart. This is why he's such an important figure in the book of Acts. Because he reminds us of Jesus. So he was available. And then there was power on his life. Let's talk a little bit about his impact. Because we know he was martyred. He was martyred maybe in his late 20s, early 30s. That's what most scholars guess. That's about how old he was. He gives one message. I mean, I just think this is, this is incredible in the, in, the, in the ways how God is. He just uses the weak things. He just uses, here, he gives one message. I mean, I think of all the messages I've given, if you combine them all together, they don't even touch what Stephen did here. But so the Lord calls him into ministry. He's ministering to widows. He's full of power, signs, and wonders, the spirits on his life, and he gives one message, and they kill him for it. It was that convicting. And I'll talk a little bit about the message, but all of Acts chapter 7 is Stephen preaching, and the gist of the message is he's basically talking to the Jewish people saying, the entire history of Israel and every one of its prophets were pointing to this man, Jesus, and you crucified him. And they couldn't handle, they couldn't take the conviction. It says in the end of Acts chapter 7 that their heart was pierced. Their heart was so powerfully rent. It says there in verse 54, they were cut to the heart. The spirit was so on him, it was like a sword just right into their, they knew that they knew he was right. And when you're 
bound by religion, the only alternative, oh, we've got to get rid of this guy. Can't hear this. It's, ugh. And so they take him out of Jerusalem to stone him. The story goes that they're throwing stones at him. And it says that as he's, you know, dying from this, he gazes into heaven, verse 55. He sees the glory of God. I mean, you're getting hit with stones. You have a vision of heaven. You're crying out. I mean, so much is happening at the end of his life. And we're just like, what is happening? He was so anointed and... He was doing the widow thing and there's power on his life and now he's being killed. What is happening? Oh, poor Stephen. It says, uh, he, he says this out loud. He says, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cry out with a loud voice. They, oh, I can't. You know, they're stopping their ears. That's how crazy this scene is. I can't hear the. Uh. They were so bothered by it. They ran at him take him out of the city and they stone him. And it says that the witnesses, they laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Ooh. They stoned Stephen. This is the last words of Stephen's life. It says he was calling on God. So again, he sees Jesus in a, in a heavenly vision. They're stoning him and he's crying out to the Lord in prayer. He's saying, God, uh, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The same thing Jesus prayed. And then he says, he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And then he dies. And we think, oh, man. I mean, the unrenewed part of our mind, or if we look at it from the natural perspective, we're thinking, oh, poor Stephen, he had such a good career ahead of him. Could have had such a lengthy, fruitful ministry. Oh, if he wasn't so zealous. If he didn't, you know, miss it and, you know, go overboard with his preaching, he'd still be alive. He'd be able to lead so many people to the Lord. That's the natural way to look at it. That's the earthy way. That's the, the unrenewed way to look at it. But if we look at it from heaven's perspective... We go, this, this may be the single greatest and most impactful moment, second only to the cross. This right here. That's my theory. There is no greater event in human history than the cross of Christ. There's nothing that compares. That just towers over every historical moment. I would put Stephen's martyrdom number two. And why do I say that? I've got two points. As soon as Stephen was martyred, we know two things happen immediately. One is the gospel goes immediately to Gentiles. There is a persecution. The disciples spread out and the gospel for the first time goes to non-Jews. So it begins. the gospel begins to spread worldwide for the first time in fulfillment of what Jesus prophesied, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all the nations. The turning point or the hinge that caused the gospel to go to the nations was Stephen's willingness to lay his life down. 
If Stephen doesn't die, there's no spreading, there's no, there's no scattering of the disciples. My, my message isn't primarily about martyrdom, but we do need to get a biblical perspective of martyrdom, and, and the, the perspective we need is is that when someone lays their life down, the Bible says greater love has no one to lay his life down for his friends. That's talking about Jesus' death. But in that same vein, martyrdom, where someone's willing to lay their life down so that people can know Jesus, there is an explosion of power that nothing else can produce. There is an explosion of the gospel. And so not only does the gospel go to every, uh, to, to non-Jews, to Gentiles, this is, this is so crazy. That prayer, don't hold this against them. Don't charge them with this sin. We know who heard that prayer. We know one of the men who heard that prayer, and that was Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was watching and observing, and he heard him say that. And one chapter later, God answers that prayer. God did not hold it against Saul of Tarsus. One chapter later, the greatest apostle ever to live is radically saved. And there is totally not a coincidence. These are linked. Stephen lays his life down. He does exactly what Jesus did. The Lord receive my spirit. Forgive them, they know not what they do. He prays nearly the same prayer as Jesus. An explosion of power, the gospel goes to the Gentiles and now Saul has encountered Jesus and Saul takes the gospel all over the far reaches of the Roman world. How do those two things happen? Stephen lays his life down. Here's my working theory, this is something that I'm not, not dogmatic about this, I'm not gonna, this is just my thought. You can correct me, Donnie, if you think otherwise. <laughs> my hypothesis is one day, this is just my made up little, one day will be, you know, me and you and, you know, the kids will be, we'll have the campfire going in heaven. We'll have the, when we're in glory, well, you know, we'll have the we'll have the campfire going. Jesus is here, and here's Stephen and Paul and me and Donnie, <laughs> and we're we're just hanging out, and and we're gonna be like Jesus, like tell us the full scoop. When Stephen laid his life down, like explain that. I think he's gonna tell us that was Jesus is gonna say. Aside from me dying on the cross, that was number two. Because the gospel went from just in Jerusalem, now it's worldwide, and now Paul the Apostle's ministering worldwide, and the nations are coming to the Lord. All these different ethnic groups are turning to the Lord, and from there on, for the rest of you know, the next 2,000 years, up to this point, people are getting saved all over the world for the last 2,000 years, and up to now. And I mean, we're going to be able in heaven to track our spiritual lineage 
all the way back down through Paul probably. And Paul's going to go, but actually I got saved because Stephen laid his life down. God answered his prayer, so I got saved. And so I preached over there, and there was a church planted there, and then they went over here, and then they, you got saved. And we're just going to be blown away. We're going to go, oh my goodness. I think nearly everything can be traced back Obviously, if we follow the story back, it all begins in a prayer room and the Holy Spirit comes. But we cannot miss this. The gospel was exclusively being preached within Jewish circles until Stephen preached that message that pierced. And they said, oh, we're going to take this guy out. We can't handle this. It's too true. And so this, they stone him and they think, they think they're getting rid of the problem, but the problem just got multiplied a 10,000-fold because now they don't just have to contend with little Stephen, and this was a big guy. I mean, this was a powerful man. <laughs> Here's the thing. When the blood of martyrs begins to be shed, oh, my goodness, heaven and earth begins to shift and people like Saul get saved. And it just takes a couple Saul's. I mean, Saul, we've preached about Saul for the last couple of weeks. He, this man is unparalleled in, in Christian history. So we look at, here's a guy, mid-20s to late-20s, just says, I'm available. Puts his hand up, you need me to take care of the welfare thing, I'll do that. Then there's a power dimension then he's laying his life down and the gospel explodes in the earth and Saul of Tarsus is suddenly an apostle and the rest is history. We owe so much to this man. I want to just share a couple points of personal application. This is a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. I love this quote I have here at the bottom. <clears throat> kind of goes right with this, but he says, the end of life not to be happy it's not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain it's to do the will of God come what may I think this guy has it he had it Stephen was just like I'm going to do the will of God whatever you need me to do I'm going to do no matter what comes my way I'm going to do the will of God I love that MLK said that I want to have that attitude I'm not just living my life to be happy or avoid pain I want to do the will of God no matter what comes my way. You know, I think this. In our 21st century context, where we measure everything outwardly, we measure everything based on if we feel it's successful. If we were to take Stephen and hold him up to our standards, we'd go, oh, poor Stephen, could have, could have been successful. But God looks at him and says, you have no idea what success is. Stephen was perhaps one of the most successful men in history because he was simply available. He ministered to anybody God called him to, and he was willing even to lay his life down for the Lord. Now, we don't just go do something crazy just to say we laid our life down. I don't think we do that. But he, was, he found himself in a situation where he just preached the truth they took him out for it, but God used it. I think of the millions of Christians worldwide 
They're under the threat of persecution daily. Just having a Bible study is potentially fatal. And I think of them, and God thinks of this. Some of them lay their lives down. I mean, I get reports from Open Doors USA. I get reports from all kinds of different, uh, you know, organizations. And there is, I mean, the church is being heavily persecuted worldwide. I mean, to be a Christian in North Korea or Afghanistan or China, there's just so many countries where it's very perilous to even, you know, it's very dangerous. God sees all of them and says, you know, some of these kids have lost moms and dads that have been martyred. None of it has been in vain. And it's always producing so much more than we can ever fathom. Like I said, one day we'll get to heaven. We'll be in this, you know, campfire talking. What about that one guy from Iran? He died and, you know, it seemed like, what was that? And the Lord says, that's how the revival started. And we're going to learn the full scoop. Come what may. A couple questions and we'll close. Are we willing to be available? Am I willing to be available so that I can be empowered? Some people think, why am I powerless? Why don't I have the power? Well, it's like, are we available? Are we willing to do whatever? Not just here at House of Prayer. I mean, anywhere. Wherever God would call you, to any country, to anything, are we just completely open? Because some people think of ministry as like, well, I want to get, I want to get the stage going and I want to get my, my, my worship album going. And that's a lot, of, a lot of people are called to that, but a lot of people are called to do other things. We just do the will of God, come what may. So are we willing to be available so that we can be empowered? And are we willing to allow God to lead us as he seems fit so we have the greatest impact? It might not look successful. So many people go, oh, house of prayer, what are you really doing? There's just a few people praying. My job may be to touch one Saul who gets saved. I don't know. It might be to touch 12 people. It might, you know, not everything has to look incredible. We're just called to do the will of God. Come what may. Amen. Amen. So maybe you're listening through Facebook or through the recording and you're like, I'm obedient, but I just don't feel successful. Keep being obedient. Keep being faithful. Keep being available. The power will come. The impact will be seen eventually. Just keep doing what he's asked you to do. Make yourself available. Heavenly Father, our prayer tonight, just as we've looked at this amazing man of God, Stephen, Help us in the same way to just continue to be open. Lord, whatever you would tell us to do, wherever you would send us, help us to be available. And Lord, I'm asking for your divine empowerment on what we're doing here at House of Prayer and what we're doing in our lives. Excuse me. I ask for your empowerment, signs, wonders, miracles, great wonders even. As we seek seek to touch people, to be out among the people, to, to help them, to minister to them. And I pray that our lives would have a great impact beyond what we're even thinking. I pray for those listening. I pray for those who are just considering their station in life right now. Lord, I ask that they would 
really be set apart for your purposes and they would have a great impact simply by doing what you've called them to do. Help us, Lord. If Stephen was available, help us to be available. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.